my name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. One of our core values at our church here is um, transformational teaching. And by that we mean that we teach God's word accurately and relevantly to transform lives. And one of the coolest things about that is when I see people taking God's word and applying it to their lives, that it's actually changing things, transforming things about them. I got a call on Monday morning from someone because they had heard me on Sunday just give the challenge, hey, if we're supposed to be thinking of others first, as we learned in our message last week on Companions, just text someone if you're thinking about them. So someone did that in our church and, and then texted me the whole text conversation back and forth because they texted this friend they hadn't talked with in months, said, how are you doing? I'm thinking about you. And she said, I'm so glad you texted this friend in response because I'm going through some really hard stuff with my kids. Can we talk? I'd love to get some wisdom from you. And I just love seeing this woman applying what she learned into her lives. That's transformational teaching. I also heard from another woman this last week who, who uh, heard the acronym that I taught last week, the TEAM acronym. Although there's a little bit of debate in our community group whether it was an acronym or uh, a mnemonic. I don't know the difference. It was one of those things. But TEAM was te um, think of others first, encourage them always, assemble in community, and motivate toward love, and they took that, that, that thing, whatever it is, and they taught it to their whole staff the next day at work. And they were like, hey, I want everyone to learn it. And I just love that, taking what they're learning, even applying it to people in the workplace. That's great. That's what we're talking about, transformational teaching. And I love hearing those stories. So if you are applying anything you're learning or something growing in your life, I want to hear about it. Text me, send me an email, mwolf at arisedenver.com. Put it in the comment section. We just love hearing people applying God's word to their lives because it transforms you from the inside out. So that's uh, a cool thing happening. Um, we are going to continue our quest series today. You know, in this quest series, we're seeing how this story plot of the quest that we see again and again in our literature and in our stories and in our movies is very similar to the quest that God has for our lives, and we're seeing it through this angle through the book of Hebrews. In the first week, we looked at the call that Jesus just simply invites us to come follow me. We follow him and take a step to begin that journey. We don't know everything that's going to happen, but we just start that journey. And then last, and then two weeks ago, we talked about one of the relationships we need in that journey is, is that of a guide, that we need wise people in our lives to help us because we don't know what the heck we're doing. So we need guides in our lives. And then last week, we talked about the companions, that we need people on the journey with us that are surrounding us. But, but we learned last week that, hey, it's not about what my companions can do for me, but what I can do for my companions. So that's what we talked about last week. And then today, we're going to move away from those relationships that we need on our quest to talk about some of the things we encounter on our quest. So today we're going to talk about the obstacles that we encounter. Don't we all encounter obstacles in our lives and in our journey? 2020 is a year of obstacles, right? It sure was. I think as a pastor, this is an incredibly hard year, 2020, and of course it's still continuing. And I just remember like last March when it was like, we're shutting down, we're not meeting at all in person. Remember that? We were all freaked out, nobody knew what was going on. And for a period of months, we, we weren't meeting together at all, and everything that I, I knew that I had been practicing just wasn't working. This is a major obstacle. Uh, I had this whole rhythm. I've been doing this for almost 10 years. I have this rhythm of what my week looks like so that I'm ready to preach a sermon to you guys on Sunday, and now we were trying to pre-record on Thursday. I wasn't ready. <laughs> like, I've got to figure out how to do this, and now I'm trying to preach to people. I like seeing people because I can see you respond to me and, and laugh at my jokes sometimes. I like that. I get to respond. But now I'm looking at a camera. I don't see anybody. And I'm like, what the heck are we going to do? Are people even going to care about our church? Are they going to keep giving? How are we going to keep this thing moving? This huge obstacle that pastors face, right? That I face. We all had obstacles like that last year. And we wonder, how can I make it through this? How are we going to overcome this? Is there a way around it? 
We all face these obstacles. Sometimes they are situations. Sometimes they are things that happen to us. You know, that's going to be an important differentiator between next week. Next week, we're going to talk about temptations because sometimes we do sin in our lives and we do bad things and we experience the bad consequences of those bad things that we've done. Okay, we're not talking about that today. What we're talking about is the things that happen to us that just happen in our lives. Like, I didn't do this. I maybe made a decision. I moved to Denver, but now I'm super lonely and away from everyone I knew. Okay, we, we do that. It's not sin to move to Denver. And yet we run into these obstacles. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Those, those things we encounter in our lives. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's difficulties. How to, do we deal with those obstacles? Because sometimes they seem insurmountable. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Every week I've been showing a little different movie clip of a quest story. And, and because I've been talking about Lord of the Rings so much, I, I have a special clip today for my wife, Melissa from a movie you may know as Legally Blonde uh, that, about a woman named Elle Woods, played by Reese Witherspoon, who's on a quest because her, bo- her boyfriend dumps her because he's going to law school and he's too good for this little uh, fashion blonde girl. And, and then so she decides she's going to Harvard. That's the first obstacle. It has to go get into Harvard Law School. But then she gets there and encounters another obstacle, and we're going to pick that up in our clip. except for this horrible preppy girl who tried to make me look bad in front of the professor, but no biggie. <laughs> You're here now. So, how was your summer? Good, yeah. It's good. Did you do anything exciting? Uh, hey. Have, uh, you met Vivian? Oh, hi. Vivian Kensington. Do you know her? She's, um... I'm his fiance. What? You know, that's the, this new obstacle. There's another woman, right? The boyfriend she was in love with is now engaged to Vivian Kensington. What a name, right? So this obstacle that she's running into now is this other woman. How can she win Warner back on her quest, right? So these obstacles we face, sometimes they are people. Sometimes they're situations. Sometimes they're a job loss. Sometimes it's a health issue and we run into these obstacles how can i make it through this well today that's what we're going to talk about because what it's going to require is a complete change in mindset for us we've got to start seeing things differently thinking about things differently if we want to learn to overcome our obstacles because we've got to begin to see that obstacles are opportunities to grow Obstacles are opportunities to grow. It's a complete different mindset, and we're actually going to learn three different points that kind of build up to this one bigger idea that we're supposed to learn in our passage, that these obstacles we encounter, just like our favorite heroes, they run into the obstacles, and they actually help them grow on their quest to make it to where they need to go. So obstacles are opportunities to grow. And like we've done throughout the series, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're kind of jumping here and there in that book. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 to 13 today. If, you have, if you're online or you have your phone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. Look for our Arise Denver event. You can even take notes in there. That's a great place to find our, our announcements and what's going on too. We don't do bulletins anymore. Have you noticed? But if you go to that Version Bible app, it has all of the things that are going on in our church. It's a great place with links and all that stuff. So we're going to be in verses 4 through 13. This is a larger chunk of Scripture than we have been going through, so we're going to move quickly. 
And we'll start reading here in verse 4, where we read, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's confusing. We'll get back to that verse. Let's skip it for right now. Verse 5, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Ooh, that sounds good, right? That addresses you as a father addresses his son. Okay, this is good. This is a word of encouragement. It's from a father addressing to the son, and I just want to put a little blurb in there that, yes, women, you're included in sons of God, okay? You're like, that's weird. Yes, but that's just how language works sometimes. Women, you are sons of God, and we men are the bride of Christ, okay? So it's a little bit of quid pro quo there. You know, we each get a little awkwardness, right? But you're included in this. So here's this word of encouragement. That sounds good. I want that. This word of encouragement from a father, our father in heaven, and it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So this this verse is actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. So these words of wisdom that were given from a father to a son now are being applied to our Father in heaven speaking to us, his sons, his daughters, his children. But look at in these just two verses from Proverbs that are being quoted. No, let's, let's jump back to um, verse 5. Mari's just ahead of where I'm getting. She's, she's right on. Okay, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. You see that word? And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because of the Lord's discipline. So twice there's this word discipline. There's once the word rebuke, and we talked about rebukes last week. Those are kind of hard to hear a rebuke when you're needing to do something differently. And this last word, chastens. That word chastens could be translated as whip or scourge. This is even physical pain that you're experiencing. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that on our journey, some of the obstacles we face, the hardship, the difficulties are actually discipline from God. It hurts because he's trying to teach us something. So the first thing that we need to learn today from this passage the first point that I want you to pick up is that God's not breaking you down. He's building you up. God's not breaking you down and, and trying to leave you with these obstacles and, and trying to ruin your life. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to discipline you. He's not trying to break you down, but to build you up. He cares about you and loves you and sees where you're supposed to be going and, and sees who you need to be coming, be becoming. And, and he says, I'm trying to not break you down, but to build you up. And we see that in that passage with this discipline. Look one more time at verses 5 and 6 where it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Okay. Uh, I need to kind of step away from our passage for just a second because everyone in the first century would have agreed and like, okay, yeah, God's disciplining us. Okay, I understand. But I just need to say, because over the last 30 and 40 years, our country is crazy. And I just need to say that discipline is good. When your parents discipline you, it's good if you're a kid. Parents, you need to discipline your children. In fact, if you don't do it, you hate them. It's not me saying this. This is what God says. I want to show you another proverb. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children. Mm, this is God. This is not me. This is God. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Okay? If you do not discipline your children, you actually hate them, and you're setting them up for failure. To discipline your children is what God calls us to do. And I'm not saying this as an expert. I have three kids. The oldest is four. I have no idea what I'm doing. The more kids we have, the more I realize I don't know, right? I, I, so I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm just telling you what God says. That's my job anyways, right? 
If, if you don't discipline your children, you hate them. This is a really big deal, okay? And it says the rod. The rod is actually representative of discipline. It doesn't mean you need to go out and get a rod. I need a rod, now I can be a good dad or a good mom. No, it's just saying you need to discipline them. So we can debate and figure out what the disciplines are, and it is differently. Already, I can see it, it's different with kids. I'm just getting started. But some of you who are parents for a while, you know that. One kid you can just look at like this and they're gonna weep, right? They're gonna melt. They're crying, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. That's enough discipline for that child. But for another child, maybe you did. Doesn't hurt. Take away all their clothes, all their toys. I didn't need those anyways, right? Some kids need different discipline than others, right? We all know that and you have to learn that and figure it out as you go as a parent. The point is you have to discipline. You have to be teaching them and training them and giving them consequences. And I say this because I did read a very popular parenting book, very popular right now. And it said not only don't discipline your kids, but don't even give them consequences. This is a very popular book in our country right now. Ridiculous. That's setting your children up for failure because you don't want to deal with them right now. There's, there's another book called the, the Coddling of the American Mind. Very fascinating book. But, but it's saying now that adults entering into college are three years behind where uh, teenagers were even just a few decades ago. And it's because parents aren't giving consequences. They're going in there, they're not just uh, the helicopter parents, they're the lawnmower parents, right? Trying to take out all the obstacles from their kid's path, not consequences, not dealing with anything. So these kids are not mature, they don't know how to handle themselves, they don't know how to deal with tests and professors or let alone a job. You know, they don't know how to deal with all of that stuff, so they're struggling. It's increasing anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation in kids. And this isn't just a book written by a conservative. It's written, actually co-written by a conservative and a liberal, and they're saying, hey, look at this. we got a problem in our country. we got to do something about it. And it stems back to the fact that we need to discipline our children. If you don't discipline them, you hate them. If you love them, you care about their future, so you're going to deal with them now. Okay? Now we can move on from that bonus point. Okay, now that we're on the same page, discipline is good. So now as we return to our passage, let, let's look now at verse 7 as we continue. In, in verse 7, it says, therefore, endure hardship as discipline. That's a good sentence right there. Underline that if, if you're someone who takes underlines your Bible. Uh, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate. There's another English word for that, and yes, that's the same word in Greek. You are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. If you are God's children, he's going to discipline you because he loves you. If you're not being disciplined, maybe he doesn't love you. Okay, hmm. That's flipping your mindset a little bit, isn't it? Verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? So what we're learning here is that God isn't breaking you down to destroy you and ruin your life. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to build you up. Those, those hardships you're experiencing are for your good. God's working in them. He, he cares about you. He loves you. He's the father who's disciplining your children. There's a reason why I keep my twins from biting each other and discipline them. Even to just pick one up. Our pediatrician taught me this one. Just pick them up and put them somewhere else, right? That's the discipline for a one-year-old when they're biting their sibling. Okay, but, but we can't just let them bite each other. That's not okay. 
For, for a four-year-old, it's a little bit different discipline, right? And, and as our kids get older, it's going to be different discipline all the time. But you do that because you love your kids. And our Father in Heaven loves us and knows that if we are, are supposed to be the people He has called us to be and do the things He's called us to do, He's going to have to discipline us and challenge us, give us hardships even that we have to overcome. We've got to flip our mindset. This is for our growth. This is for our development. We, we see this in our quest stories. The Martian. The Martian, great movie, right? Some of you have read the book too. Martian. And Mark Watney, who is played by, um, by Matt Damon. Okay? He gets stuck on Mars by himself. And it's going to be a whole year and a half that he is there waiting to be rescued. So his quest is how does he need to survive until long enough that he can get rescued, right? How can he get back to Earth? And he has to figure out some things, right? He has to figure out how to grow potatoes in his own poop. He has to figure out how to survive the, the harsh climate of Mars. He's all these figuring things out. And I know I'm going to be a little spoiler alert, but it's been out for several years. So if you haven't watched it, it's your fault. Okay? He does make it back to Earth. He does make it back to Earth. And then what happens? He is now the instructor, the professor, teaching the younger astronauts what to do so that they are prepared for what's ahead because of all the things he has learned and experienced. See, God doesn't want to break us down. In our quest stories, we understand this. The obstacles prepare us for the future. They prepare you for the big climax, the big moments, right? That's, that's what we see in our stories. It's the same thing in our lives. God doesn't want to break you down. He wants to build you up. Obstacles are opportunities for growth. For growth. And this is so important for us to understand. We've got to change our mindset. We've got to, got to start having a growth mindset. That's a real popular phrase right now. Carol Dweck, I think, came up with that phrase. Okay, we've got to have a growth mindset. When we see these obstacles, they're opportunities for growth. God's doing something. He's building me up. He's not breaking me down. But I think the reason why we struggle to see things that way is because it hurts. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's difficult, challenging. Sometimes some of you are in those difficulties right now and you're like, Matt, I don't know. You, you don't know my difficulty. You don't know how hard it is. And maybe I don't. I, I don't know how hard it is. But I do know this, our second point. It might not feel good, but it's for your good. It might not feel good, but it's for your good. Things don't feel good in the moment, but they're for our ultimate good. And we see this as we continue to read in verse 10. Talking about our earthly father's it says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, our earthly parents, they don't know what they're doing. I'm a parent. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying, right? But God knows exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it, and for how long we need it, right? So God knows all those things, and it's for our good. He, he continues in verse 11. We read, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Ain't that right? You can underline that too. But painful, circle that word, painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's not pleasant, doesn't feel good, but it's for your good. I mean, this is scripture, right? We need to realize that in the moment, in the years, it's not, not pleasant, it's painful, it's hard. And yet, it's for our good. Look at the two metaphors that are used here in just this one verse, in verse 11. It says, it produces a harvest of righteousness. Think about harvesting. Think about harvesting, okay? You have to plow the ground, which is hard. 
you have to plant the seeds, you have to water the seeds, you have to watch over them, you have to either spray pesticides or, or, or work away if, if you're non-GMO, all that good stuff, um, non-pesticide, then you have to figure out a way to keep your plants safe from bugs and animals and all that stuff, and then you have to work through the heat of the summer to continue to make sure the plants are okay so that they're ready for the harvest months later. Months and months of hard work, getting up before everybody else to work on this so that you can have a harvest later. It, it's hard. It's not pleasant, it's not fun, but it pays off in the end. In the same way, there's another metaphor. It says, for those who have been trained by it. We know this about training, don't we? We know this about training. If you're training in school, you know that kids have to go through years, over a decade of school before they can ever hold one job, right? And then if they want a better job, they're going to go to more schooling or more professional degrees or whatever the training that they need and they have to pass tests and they have to do all sorts of different things and if they fail the test, they have to try harder and, and try the test again and, and keep at it and they fail a class, they've got to try the class again all so that they can be prepared for their future. All these training, right? Same thing when you're training for a sport event. I talked with someone in the first service who was training for a half marathon. You are out training for a half marathon running longer and longer all the time out before everybody else it hurts. It's not fun. If you're training in the winter, there might be some chafing, right? It's not fun. I've done that before. Nebraska was cold. But you do all that. All the Olympics, Olympians who are getting ready for the Olympics we might have in Japan this year, they are waking up at four in the morning or earlier to train before everybody else and get their hours in in the pool or hours in in the weight room, right? They're doing all that training. It doesn't feel pleasant in the moment. It doesn't. But you do all of that training for what will come. It might not feel good, but it's for your good. It might not feel good, but it's for your good. It's for an ultimate good that God is doing. And I say this because one of the most interesting things that can happen to us on our quest is that we're going after something and we get just, boom, knocked off course. That, that thing now becomes out of reach. It's too hard. You're like, okay, I, I, I've lost that. I, I've given up on this. And, and, and you have to keep moving. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've lost. Well, sometimes the obstacles are pointing us in a different direction. It's painful. Sometimes we have to grieve the thing. This was my dream career, but now there's no way I could ever be in that career. I, I can't see very well. I can't be a pilot anymore. We have these things happen to us. But even those painful things God is using for our good. He's directing us maybe to a different way. I think that's one of the coolest things about that movie, Legally Blonde, that my wife picked for our sermon day because she's going after Werner, right? She wants to win this guy back. But through the process, she realizes he's not worth it. She's learning and she's growing and she's becoming brilliant, this brilliant legal mind who also is great at fashion, which prepares her to win an incredible court case. And she's a great lawyer, right? All those things. And she doesn't need that guy anymore, right? Okay, sometimes those things happen. It seems so painful in the moment, that obstacle. But yet God is using it for our good. It might not feel good, but it's for our good. Opportunity, our obstacles are opportunities for growth, for us to grow. God is working in those things. might not feel good, but it's for your good. So, so what does that mean for us? Because I know that some of us are in really difficult times. Some of you are like, Matt, I'm in the pain right now. I'm struggling. I talked with a young man this week who was at his lowest point. He's like, Matt, I have seen people. I've walked with people through the lowest points in their life. I've been there when they're at the, the, the complete you know, low point of their life because of drugs and alcohol, and I've helped those people. And he's like, now I'm at that point. I talked to this guy this week. 
I'm at that point. I don't know what to do. The, it's not just one obstacle. It's this obstacle plus this one plus this one plus this one. And they're all tied together. So in order to fix this one, I've got to fix this one. You know, you've you got relationship issues and, and work issues and money issues and health issues. And all these things are compounding. And I know some of you might be here watching right now and you're like, that's me. I don't know how to get out of this mess. I certainly can't see how it's for my good. But this is what I want to tell you. This is our third point for today. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay, somebody needs to type this in online. I'm not dead, so I'm not done. Can we say that out loud? I'm not dead, so I'm not done. Let's try it one more time. I'm not dead, so I'm not done. Okay? We've got to learn this. We've got to realize it. There is still breath in your body. There's still something for you to do to keep moving forward. These obstacles have not completely overwhelmed you, though it feels like it. And that's what we learn as we read in verses 12 and 13. We read, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. You're weak. It's been hard. You've been carrying this heavy load. Strengthen them. And weak knees. I can't move anymore. Okay? Keep moving, it says. Verse 13, Make level paths for your feet. There's obstacles. Move them out of the way and keep going. So that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Even if you are lame, you cannot walk. Some of you even have a physical difficulty and you think, I am done. No, you're not. You're not dead. So you're not done. It's time to get back up and keep moving. Obstacles are opportunities for growth. It's time to keep moving forward. And I said we'd get back to verse 4. Let's do it, do it right now. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. If you still have blood in your veins, still keep time to fight, to keep moving forward. You're not dead yet. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's what we're learning here. I think of Paul in Philippians chapter 1. It's really fascinating. If you start reading in that passage, it's a long one, but Paul's like, he's stuck in prison. He's getting older. He's one of the greatest missionaries the world had ever seen and would ever see. And yet he's stuck, confined as a prisoner, looking at his possible execution. And he's like, well... Uh, should I live or should I die? He's like literally wondering, like, what's the point? Should, should I live or should I die? It would be great to be in heaven because it would be better by far. That's what he says. And yet, I'm still alive, he says, so I'm going to keep moving. I still got things to do. And he writes this letter that we know as Philippians, that's in our Bible, that Christians, millions and billions of Christians for generations have looked at, and it's the letter we call the letter of joy. What? Because Paul decided, with my last breaths, I'm going to write this letter. These last moments, I'm going to keep moving ahead. If God still has breath in my body, I still have work to do. If you're not dead, you're not done. Even if you're physically handicapped, you can't leave your home. I know some of you are watching. You can't leave your home. You're in a home. If you're not dead, you're not done. And this is important for us to hear because your, your dream was this career. Now you can't do that career. You thought you were always going to get married. You're not married. You thought you were going to have kids. You don't have kids. You're retired. Now what's the point of my life? And it's time to get refired, right? Okay, there's still work to do. If you're not dead, you're not done. In fact, it might be in those years, later years, that you're going to accomplish way more than you ever did when you were so focused on your career and your job. Now you can pour into other people and be their guides. Okay? There's amazing things God is doing. If you're not dead, you're not done. As hard as it is, as incapacitated as you feel, as emotionally down as you are, if you're not dead, you're not done. Every obstacle is an opportunity for growth. I want you to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this today to keep moving. To keep one foot in front of the other and keep moving. You know, it's hard for us to have this mindset, right? It's hard for us to, to, to figure this out, this 
this flip of mindset. Because, because we don't see the whole picture, right? And what it ultimately comes down to is that we struggle to trust the author. We get it in our books. We get it in our movies. We've seen these movies again and again and again, and we still watch them even though we know the ending, the conflict. We know that they're not going to die. We know that there's going to be success, yet we watch it, right? Well, we know the author of our story. He knows that he's writing these obstacles. He's putting us through this discipline. He's deliberately allowing difficult things to happen to us. But he knows the end. He knows the good. He knows what he's creating in us, where he's leading us. So we need to grow in our trust of the author. Because I look back just at some of the stories in the scriptures. If I were the author, I would have written it a little differently. When I see young Joseph, just a boy, and his brothers take him, they throw him in a pit, and then sell him into slavery. I I would have gone over there and tried to protect Joseph from that, right? No little boy should have to deal with that. No little boy should have to get sold as a slave into Potiphar's house and work for him for years and years and years and then get thrown into prison for something he didn't do. But that's what happened to Joseph. I would have protected him from that. I would have protected Joseph and and taken him out of those years and years and years that he spent in prison. But it was in prison, it was when he was working for Potiphar's house that he developed administrative skills to run an entire household and then an entire prison from the inside so that when Pharaoh finally released him from prison, he was ready to be the second hand to the entire kingdom to save not only the nation of Egypt, but the entire ancient world from a seven-year famine because the skills and character he had developed through those obstacles. I would have protected him. (laughs) I I look at someone else like David, Again, just a young boy, and he was thrown out there to be a shepherd of the sheep in the middle of nowhere in a field, and lions and bears would come to eat the sheep. And this little boy had to learn how to defend the sheep from these predators. I would have protected my son from that, right? And yet God allowed it to happen. Why? So that one day David would be ready so that he could pick five smooth stones out of the stream and use one of those stones to slay a giant and save a nation. If, if I were the author, I would have seen young Esther, again, just this young little girl that had to go through these beauty treatments for a whole year to spend one night with a terrible, awful king who was a drunk and would do angry things when he was drunk. I would have protected her from having to marry that guy. But yet, because she married him and because she had developed the confidence over that year and then been married to him, she was ready. When Haman tried to commit genocide against the Jews, Esther was there to stand up for her people and save many lives. We would have done it differently. If we were the author, we would have tried to protect Daniel from the lion's den and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fire. We would have tried to protect all of them because we're not the author and we don't know the end, but God knows the end. And I know certainly I would have tried to protect Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. Only three years he got to show the world God's love. He was amazing. I would have protected Jesus before he got betrayed by his friend and then arrested and beaten and mocked and stripped naked and abused. I would have tried to protect him so he wouldn't have to carry his own torture device up to the hill where they nailed him to that cross. I would have protected him from breathing out his last as he, saw, uh, as he was there in the hot Middle Eastern sun and died. But our author, the good author, knew that Jesus had to die as an atonement for us that his blood all needed to be shed so that we could be forgiven as we put our faith in him. Elizabeth Elliot, who herself had a husband die, even though he was a missionary going to Ecuador to save a tribe, 
to tell him about Jesus. He was killed by that tribe. And this is what she wrote. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. Because he knew it was in that hardship that the entire world could be saved. You and I could be here and have hope and overcome our obstacles and have purpose in our journey and have eternal life and forgiveness no matter what we've done. I'm glad we can trust an author who knows the entire story and is writing ours right now. Because when we have faith in that author, our, our good, good father who loves us, who declares us to be his children, that every obstacle is an opportunity for growth. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful that you love us and you care about us. I'm even grateful that you put us through discipline, though it does not feel good in the moment. This hardship, we would, we would not have wanted it at all, but yet when we go through it, we realize, wow, how much I have grown, how much I have become the person you've called me to, how it steered me towards a better path than what I ever thought. And Lord God, I pray that we'd be able to look back and even to talk about it in our community the group this week and see some things in our life where we have seen you as the ultimate author at work for our good. And I pray that that would help us to trust you even more in the moment, in the hardship, when we don't know and we can't see the end. But Lord God, I pray that you'd help us face those obstacles and keep pushing forward. That you would strengthen our feeble arms. That, that you'd uh, help us with our knees that are weak to get up and move again. And for those who feel lame, that they can't even move at all, that you would give them the strength to keep moving, to face their obstacles and see them as opportunities for growth. Lord God, we love you. Now with eyes still closed, I know there are some who are here, there are some who are hearing my voice right now who have not put your faith in Jesus Christ yet. And I have some bad news for you. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, God is not your Father, and therefore He is not working for your good. But if today you decide to make Him your Lord and Savior, accept Jesus and you decide to follow Him, then Jesus is your Savior. Your sins are forgiven and you have a Father in Heaven who will work everything out for your good. He will be growing you and developing you into the man or the woman that He has called you to be. So, so I want to encourage you to say a simple prayer right now to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, God is your Father. So with everybody's eyes closed, if you are already a follower of Jesus, Say this prayer to give courage to someone next to you who needs it. And if you need to say this prayer for the first time, say it. You can please just repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me. Save me. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you till I reach the goal. Amen. Now with eyes still closed for just one second, eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and you made Jesus your Lord and Savior for the first time, would you please slip your hand up into the air so I can encourage you on that journey. If you're here in person or online and you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, go to risedenver.com connect and fill out the form that says, I decided to follow Jesus. And I'd love to encourage you, even send you a book as you start your journey. Lord God, we just pray for all of us, whether we're just brand new starting our journey or have been doing it for years and decades, help us to keep moving forward and see every opportunity as an obstacle, 
No, I'm sorry, every obstacle is an opportunity for growth, Lord God. Help us have that mindset because you are the good, good Father and you love us. Amen.